Welcome back, my friends, to the Big Book Podcast. My name is Howard, and I'm an alcoholic. Sober since 1988, one day at a time. In this double story episode, the 17th and 18th stories from the personal stories section of the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, published in 1939. The 17th story is entitled The Fearful One, and the 18th is entitled Truth Freed Me. These two short stories appeared only in the first edition of the big book, so this may be the first time you hear them. Both stories paint an extraordinary picture of A.A. in the first few years after Bill W. and Dr. Bob met, well before the big book was written. They recount the critical role of early A.A. members who carried the message of recovery to still-suffering alcoholics who wanted to get sober. And now, the original story, The Fearful One, followed immediately by Truth Freed Me. The Fearful One When I was 21, I was taken suddenly and violently ill, and was ill for seven years. As a result of this illness, I was left with a poorish nervous system and a curious phobia. As this has a large place in my story, I will try to explain it clearly. After I had been ill for some months, I grew strong enough to get out of doors a little each day but found I couldn't get farther than the nearest corner without becoming totally panic-stricken. As soon as I turned back home, the panic would vanish. I gradually overcame this particular phase of the trouble by setting myself longer distances to walk each day. Similarly, I learned later to take short streetcar rides, then longer ones, and so forth, until I appeared to be doing most of the things other people do daily. But the things I did not have to do each day, or at least frequently, remained unconquered and a source of great but secret embarrassment to me. So I went on for years, planning always to sidestep the things I was afraid of, but concealing my fear from everyone. Those years of illness were not all total invalidism. I made a good living part of the time, but was continually falling down and having to get up and start over again. The whole process gave me a licked feeling, especially when, toward the end of my twenties, I had to give up the presidency of a small company, which was just turning the corner to real success. Shortly after this, I was successfully operated on and became a physically well man. But the surgeon did not remove the phobia. That remained with me. During the period of my illness, I was not especially interested in liquor. I was not a teetotaler, but I was just a social drinker. However, when I was about 30, my mother died. I went to pieces as I had become very dependent on my parents through my illness. When I began to get on my feet again, I discovered that whiskey was a fine pain relief from the terrific nervous headaches I had developed. Long after the headaches were gone, however, I kept discovering other difficulties for which whiskey was a grand cure. During the ensuing ten years, I once, by sheer willpower, remained dry for five weeks. I had many business opportunities during those ten years, which, although I tried to keep them in my grasp, slipped through my fingers. A lovely wife came and went. She tried her best, and our baby's birth put me on my mettle for all of six months, but after that, worse and more of it. When my wife took the baby and left, did I square my shoulders and go to work to prove to her and to the world that I was a man? I did not. I stayed drunk for a solid month. 
The next two years were simply a drawn-out process of less and less work and more and more liquor. They ended eventually at the home of a very dear friend whose family were out of town. I had been politely but firmly kicked out of the house where I had been boarding, and although I seemed to be able to find money to buy drinks with, I couldn't find enough to pay advance room rent anywhere. One night, sure my number was up, I chucked my pride and told this friend a good deal of my situation. He was a man of considerable means, and he might have done what many men would have done in such a case. He might have handed me fifty dollars and said that I ought to pull myself together and make a new start. I have thanked God more than once that that was just what he did not do. Instead, he took me out, bought me three more drinks, put me to bed, and yanked me bodily out of town the next noon to a city two hundred miles away and into the arms of one of the most extraordinary bunch of men in the United States. Here, while in the hospital, men with clear eyes and happy faces came to see me and told me the story of their lives. Some of them were hard to believe, but it didn't take a lot of brain work to see they had something I could use. And it was so simple. The sum and substance of it seemed to be that if I would turn to God, it was very probable that He could do a better job with my life than I had. When I got out of the hospital, I was invited to stay in the home of one of these fellows. Here I found myself suddenly and uncontrollably seized with the old panic. I was in a strange house, in a strange city, and fear gripped me. I shut myself in my room. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't lie down. Couldn't leave because I had nowhere to go and no money to take me. Any attempt at reasoning accomplished nothing. Suddenly, in this maelstrom, I grasped at a straw. Maybe God would help me. Just maybe, mind you. I was willing to give him a chance, but with considerable doubt. I got down on my knees, something I hadn't done in thirty years. I asked him if he would let me hand over all these fears and this panic to him. I lay down on the bed and went to sleep like a baby. An hour later, I awoke to a new world. I could scarcely credit my senses, but that terrible phobia which had wrecked my life for eighteen years was gone. Utterly gone. And in its place was a power and fearlessness which is a bit hard to get accustomed to. All that happened nearly six months ago. In those six months, a new life has opened before me. It isn't that I have been cured of an ordinarily incurable disease. I have found a joy in living that has nothing to do with money or material success. I know that incomparable happiness that comes from helping some other fellows get straightened out. Don't get me wrong. We are not a bunch of angels. None of us has any notion of becoming such. But we know that we can never go completely back to the old ways because we are traveling upward through service to others and in trying to be honest, decent, and loving toward the world instead of slipping and sliding around in a life of drinking, cheating, lying, and doing what we like. Truth Freed Me In May 1936, after a prolonged period of alcoholism, 
My friends, my associates, my superiors, and those people who really loved me in spite of embarrassments too many to mention, finally left me because they had come to the conclusion that I didn't have any idea of doing or trying to do the right thing. I was a spineless individual who didn't care a rap for anyone or anything. I was hopeless and knew it. And then in my extremity, the divine comforter, Truth, came to me in a bar room where I had spent the major portion of six weeks. The divine comforter, in my experience, came in the guise of a former drinking companion whom I had assisted home on several occasions. Because of physical infirmities brought about by alcoholic excess, he had been unable to walk a distance of three blocks to his home unassisted when I last saw him. Now he approached me, and to my amazement, he was sober and appeared greatly improved in physical condition. He induced me to take a ride with him, and as we rode along, told me of the marvelous thing that had come into his life. He had more than a practical idea of my difficulties. He also had a logical and practical idea as to how they might be overcome. He started the conversation by explaining acute alcoholism and stated very bluntly that I was an alcoholic. This was news to me, in spite of the fact that I had promised everybody east of the Mississippi, if they would take time to listen, that I was through with drink. At the time I made these promises, I honestly wanted to quit drinking, but for some unknown reason hadn't seemed able to. He told me why I failed. He then suggested that I accompany him to a local doctor who had been helpful to him. It took 48 hours of persuasion and quite a few drinks to fortify myself, but I finally agreed to go. The doctor turned out to be one who had been an alcoholic himself, and in gratitude for the release he had found and because he understood the true meaning of the phrase brotherly love, was spending a great portion of his time helping unfortunate individuals like myself. With the help and advice of these two individuals and two or three associates, I was able, for the first time in two and a half years, to stay sober for six weeks, and then disastrously tried the beer experiment. For some time I couldn't get hold of myself, but gradually came out of hiding and exposed myself again to this influence which had been so helpful. July 2, 1936, I again contacted the two individuals, and since that day I have never had a drink. However, because of the difficulties I encountered as the result of the beer experiment, I was unable for some time to find reality in this new way of life. I was doubtful, fearful, full of self-pity, afraid to humiliate myself. This unreality lasted until December 11th, when I was faced with the absolute necessity of raising a sum of money. For the first time came the realization that I was faced with a difficulty from which I seemed unable to extricate myself. Of course, I took time out to bemoan the fact that after all I'd done, this had to happen to me. But on the advice of my wife, I reluctantly went to a banker. I told him my story completely. I went to him believing that my need was money. I went there as a last resort to attempt to pry it loose to meet my needs. My need was not money, but again, I had been led to the proper source. After having related my story to the banker, who knew my reputation not only as an alcoholic, but as an individual who didn't pay his bills, he said, 
I know something of what you are trying to do, and I believe you are on the right track. Are you right with the Father who knows your needs before you ask? If so, you are not dependent upon this bank or any individual in it, or any rules by which we operate, because your help comes from an ever-present and all-powerful Father. I am going to do everything I can to secure this loan for you. However, I don't want anything that happens here to throw you off the track. I want you to leave here feeling that you have done everything you could to secure these funds and go about your business. Your business is the business with God's work. I don't know whether that calls for you to go and collect a bill, sell some new contract, or sit quietly and pray. But your Father knows, and if you will but permit Him, He will direct you. I had again found reality. My needs were met from another entirely unexpected source. The manifestations of this ever-present power in my experience since 1936 are too numerous to mention. Let it suffice to say that I am profoundly grateful for the opportunities I have had of seeing and knowing truth. This concludes the reading of The Fearful One and Truth Freed Me from the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm grateful you listened. Stay tuned for the next episode featuring the 19th personal story entitled Smile With Me At Me. If you're new to this podcast, please note that all 11 chapters in the main section of the big book are in earlier episodes that you can listen to anytime. Download and subscribe for free to the Big Book Podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBook, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or listen at our website, bigbookpodcast.com, where you will also find transcriptions of chapters in the main section of the Big Book. If you enjoyed listening, I'd be super grateful if you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help others find us. And please, share this podcast with your friends and anyone you know who has a desire to stop drinking. It may be the only version of the big book they ever hear. Mm-hmm.